Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back, listeners, to the Paleo View. Sarah, you are now the mom of a middle schooler. How's it going? Uh, so it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, so she's loving middle school, and I am still like I'm still the one adjusting. Like she's she's got it. She's fine, uh, and I'm the one who's like. But now I have to cook dinner at a different time, and then it's like we're eating later. So then. Normally we would eat earlier and then we, I'd have like most of my like hang out with the kids time like in the hour before they go to bed. But now that time is like squinched. So there there isn't so much hanging out time. So really what the only person word you just used. I used the word squinched. Do you know the only other time that I've heard that word used? I'm like waiting in suspense. Harry Potter, when they get squinched and Ron's <laughs> arm gets all men- messed up. Um, so it must be like it must a, be a Canadian British, slash criticism, yes. a, a common, a Commonwealth country terminology. Yes. It's a Commonwealth. Terminology. It's a cross between squished and pinched. Oh, I like it. I'm just pointing out to you <laughs> that you made a Harry Potter reference without knowing it. Okay. Continue onward. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, I was going to say the only person having like adjustment problems is me, really. Everyone else has figured it out. And the kids are just – my kids are – they're both people who really thrive in routine. Like they they really – everything about their lives is better if they have a really predictable schedule and they know what's coming next and they're eating on a routine and going to bed on a routine. And we try to stick to routine as much as possible over the summer just because I recognize this, not just about my kids, but I'm kind of thinking apples and trees that I'm kind of the same. (laughs) But uh, there's something about the school structure that just cements everything that much more that I can't replicate at home. So they are so thrilled to be back in school. They're like bouncing off the school bus when they get home. And it just, it just kind of feels like other than I, I, after spending the summer with them, I feel like I am hardly seeing them at all. (laughs) Other than that, really, as I said, I'm the person having an adjustment problem. They are like super happy to be back at school. And uh, Adele is loving middle school. She thinks sixth grade is awesome. She loves all of her teachers. She doesn't seem to mind doing an hour of homework. So it seems to be all good. Well, what I was thinking is that it has been quite a while since you or I have been ill. Um, (laughs) <laughs> like there, hang on, back, hang on. Knock on wood. If you go back on the podcast a couple of years, you know every quarter at least one of us would have a, a scratchy voice or whatever, just even from a common cold or allergies or whatever. Um, and that we haven't had that in a while, but now that our kids are going back to school, I'm sure that there's going to be some germ exposure, which is why I think. This week's podcast focused on bone broth and the health benefits of it. 
will be timely for our audience. Do you see what I did there? I'm like mm-hmm. over here doing the running man with how I tied that all in. Woo, woo. That was pretty amazing. I'm I'm sitting here with little like emoji star eyes for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. So I also want to say that this is a sponsored podcast. So you are listening to Bone Broth Show Part 2. According to your notes, I cannot believe it was this long ago. That just goes to show how long we've been doing this. Our first Bone Broth Show was in 2014. Um, I have... So it's taken like over 200 episodes between Part 1 and Part 2? Yeah. And evidently we have a huge backlog of questions and we're going to have to do this thing that we're terrible at, which is called rapid fire. Um, But I am obsessed with bone broth. As all of you know, I've talked about the health benefits that I have related to some specific genetic health conditions um, that I have that are alleviated or at least helped with collagen and gelatin helping line my gut. So we're going to talk a little bit about those benefits that everyone can have. But before we do that, we are thrilled to be able to share with you a discount code from this week's sponsor, um, Kettle and Fire, who are the only packaged bone broth that I'm aware of that's shelf stable and actually made from real bones. And so it's a product that we feel like our listeners could really benefit from having a discount code as we talk about the benefits of bone broth and it's summertime, you might not want to make them. So you can get 10% off this week if you go to kettleandfire.com slash paleoview. You don't need a code or anything. It will automatically give you 10% off one per customer with no minimum purchase. Um, So you can use the code essentially once on however large or small you want your order to be. Again, that's kettle with a K and fire.com. So I have to admit that I absolutely love kettle and fire broth. And since I discovered them a few years ago, I have like way decreased how much homemade broth I make because I've just found it so much simpler to just reach into my pantry and grab a box. Um, It's I'm really delicious. What is the science of that? What are they doing? They're they're just so all they have to do is make sure there's absolutely zero bacteria that could grow. So spoilage is always caused by bacteria. So all they have to do is make sure that it's like basically like hermetically sealed in these cartons. So it's like canning, but in a carton for soup. Yeah, so that you don't have like. BPA or any of that great stuff. Interesting. Um, And I I mean, this is the first broth that I found had like it was a, you know, a a, like made for consumer broth that had a similar like collagen-y mouthfeel to my homemade broth. Like that was that was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. So it won't. Uh, completely gel in your fridge, but it'll have that like slightly thicker, um, like it's very similar to my chicken broth if I put chicken feet into it. It's thicker than my uh, chicken broth if I'm just using like carcasses left over from roast chicken. And well, so, could, could that be because Kettle and Fire is the only company that simmers grass fed <laughs> bones for over 20 hours, Sarah? 
Uh, I really had no idea. They simmered them for a full 20 hours um, and they only use grass fed bones. I love having ad copy to read, don't you? <laughs> no, but I do love having a discount for our listeners. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and I guess, you know, we've talked about bone broth uh, tangentially on the show many times. It is something that we both include into our sort of daily routine in different ways. Um, I, uh, so I, in the summer, I don't like soups. What I tend to do in the summer is I tend to cook. Uh, I have a repertoire of meals that use a lot of broth. So for example, uh, we had the leftovers um, tonight. So last night I made my uh, Thai beef lettuce wraps. And what I've started doing is literally like it's a really sort of simple um, mince. So it's I, I use grass-fed beef. Um, the flavoring comes from lime juice, fish sauce, uh, crushed fresh garlic, mint, uh, chopped mint, it can be fresh or dried and, uh, fresh cilantro. And, uh, I literally will put in, um, my, like the normal recipe will call for like a couple cups of broth, but I will put in at least four cups of broth and simmer that down. So you simmer it down until it's evaporated, but it adds so much flavor. And then it also adds this amazing like mouthfeel to the mince that feels like, like a thickened, you know, sort of Asian dish where they would normally use cornstarch. But when you uh, simmer down the broth, you kind of get that same mouthfeel without the cornstarch, which I think is fantastic. And so I have a, a meal like that in my rotation uh, at least once a week. And then I also use it for doing like veggie mashes. Uh, so like a mashed plantain or a mashed. Um, I made um, a celery root the other day that was simmered in broth um, I'll use it to, it like, and, uh, you know, if I make something like a chicken pot pie, that's got a broth base. And I, I really like to do this thing where I use like a lot of broth and then I like simmer it down to like concentrate the flavor. Um, but then there's also the option of just that's, like that's a mug of broth. Unctuous umami, what you're talking about right there. I just wanted to make sure we properly um, used those did you, words. Did you just say unctuous? I did. I'm, I'm not entirely sure I know what that means. It means exactly what it sounds like. When you <laughs> say that word, it gives you a feel that is the same yes. as what that bone broth does for your mouth. I think we've established that Kettle and Fire is totally our favorite broth and that our listeners can save 10% if they go to kettleandfire.com forward slash paleo view. Shall we address some of these broth questions? Yeah, let's yeah. jump into it. So we have a ton of questions that we did a call out on, on social media, like what are your broth questions? And I have thrown them all in here. Uh, and we're just going to go through as many as we can quickly. And they are in no particular order. They're just like... They're in the order of like what they were asked on social media, not an order of like logical makes sense if you were making broth. I, and you I had am most it. excited about the last one. So we need to like okay, get okay, through sorry, these. Get through it. So the first question is, can I reuse bones? And if yes, how many times? Absolutely. Okay. Until they're soft and they crumble and you can't call them bones anymore. So what will happen when you're making broth is the first time you make it, you'll get a lot more of the collagen 
out of it. Um, as you reuse the bones, you will get a lot more of the mineral content because the bones are degrading and they're demineralizing. The, the minerals are absorbing into the liquid, but you'll have the most collagen in your first batch. So my preference, if I'm using a bone like chicken bones, I don't reuse them because I'll literally get them to crumbling in the very first time that I make broth. But if I'm using something like beef bones, I typically don't go more than twice. But how many times, how many times would you, would you push, push the same, the same batch of bones? We actually only use the bones once, but we batch our bones multiple times. So like when we do an Instapot round, we keep the broth in there and then we run multiple cycles until the bones are soft. And that way we get both the collagen and the minerals in one batch. And that's also that unctuous concentrated flavor that you're looking for. Um, yeah, I'm going to keep doing it now that it makes you happy. It really does. I will have you know that I went to a book signing last week. By the way, shout out to... Our, our friends that we shouted out last week, uh, <laughs> Coconuts and Kettlebells, I went to their their book launch. I think it was theirs. It might have been Christina um, Made Whole Cookbook Launch. At one of those, one of our listeners came up to me and used the word unctuous in conversation and then started giggling to herself. Um, and it, was, <laughs> it was the best thing. I, I was like, oh, you – we get where I'm like doing the thing with my two fingers and eyeballs. I'm like, I get you, girl. I get you. Okay, moving. So on. I love that you did not share that story with me until after I was giggling every time you said unctuous. <laughs> <laughs> I had to wait for the this, right time. This is just this is why our listeners are such special people. That's all I'm saying. All right, listeners, we're gonna freak you out a little bit. There's so many questions. I'm gonna take turns. Me. Mine never gels. To gel or not to gel? Does it really matter? So not really. Um, the gelling has to do with the concentration of collagen. So there's a couple of ways that you can achieve that. Um, really, you need a collagen-rich uh, starting thing, which means not just bones but joint tissue. So if you have um, something like pig's feet or chicken feet or something with a lot of skin, you will get it to gel a lot more easily. If you're just using – like I just use bones that are left over from – cooking bone in meat. And I, whenever I have a roast or I roast a whole chicken, I keep all the bones and I throw them in a bag in the freezer. When I have enough bones, I throw them all into my stock pot and make a batch of broth. So, um, one of the tricks is adding that, but if you don't, you still have collagen. It really just has to do with the concentration. So another trick is you can simmer down the broth. So make your broth, uh, as you normally would for, you know, 16 to 48 hours, depending on how long you want to let it go. And then uh, take everything out and just let it simmer down. Sometimes it takes as much as like simmering it down by half. So you're concentrating the flavor and all of the nutrients in it. And then it might gel more. But really, your your broth is still going to have substantial amounts of collagen, even if it doesn't turn into gelatin in the fridge. I 100% love that answer. The only thing I would add is I really enjoy the flavor of broth. And if you have a broth that is not gelling, you are not getting the benefit of a delicious tasting broth. <laughs> so do what Sarah said, period. And it will be a whole new experience for you. So I know that a lot of people are turned off by chicken feet, for example. Some of the other things that you could use to get a very 
collagen-rich broth is any sort of joint from an animal will do that. So oxtail is really good for a beef broth. Um, or like um, ham hocks. You can get unsmoked ham hocks. Yep. So um, they don't even necessarily have that smoky flavor to add. P.S. All that stuff is super cheap. So if you're going to the store and you're buying essentially femur bones, which is what I oftentimes see for um, – bone marrow and or soup bones, which in my opinion are not the same things, but they'll sell them to you that way. I really just feel like you're paying for the part of the bone that you don't really want. You want the joints. Yeah. I Now, this is not going to help people who are feel squeamish about uh, chicken feet because this is like way, way worse. Um, but I have a farmer who will periodically and he'll just give them to me because no one's going to buy them, but he'll give me all of the chicken heads. And that makes the best broth hands down. It is the most flavorful, the most amazing thing I've ever had, but it definitely takes the squirm factor up like a thousand notches. I would say if you're pretty squeamish about that stuff, just do it from frozen. That's one of the benefits yeah. of the Instapot is you don't have to put things thawed in. Um, I mean, I'm sure you could probably do that from a stock pot, but we never did. So it's a lot less weird to touch that stuff when there's like ice and stuff and it's frozen. And it's frozen. You know, and you just throw it in and you don't think about it. And then later you strain it and it's like it never existed. Uh, I just like totally chicken necks. Chicken necks are also really great for making yep. or turkey necks. That's another great. And you can going through. broth from any animal. So just because we're saying chicken now, um, like Sarah said, you can make pork stock, you can make beef stock, you can make a combination. Lamb broth is delicious. If you have leftover lamb bones, do not throw them away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just say that when you make stock from different kinds of animals, specifically pork, Um, Anything kind of fatty, the scum is going to rise to the top. And our recommendation, we actually have a recipe in Beyond Bacon. Um, You skim off the top after the first, I think, like 10 minutes of boil. And then you basically start a a new pot and you'll have much improved result that way. So I really like... So like your method is put everything in the pot, boil it for 10 minutes, dump out all the water, put in fresh water and then go, uh, which I really love. The alternative to doing that is to um, like like the, it'll kind of be foamy at the top for probably almost the whole first hour that it's cooking and just literally like grab a spoon and like skim the foamy stuff off the, off the, off the top and then throw it out. It's just a pain. It is a pain and um, it both achieve the same result. So I definitely like the method of just dump the first 10 minutes of water and start over again. But the reason why you do that is that scum makes the broth more bitter. Um, so it really does impact the flavor quite substantially. And you get that more so if you are cooking or making broth with uncooked bones like un- or uncooked meat compared to if you're using – bones that like that have been previously they're left over from a roast or whatever so you mentioned instapot which is an excellent segue into the next question which is is two hours really long enough for broth in the instant pot my personal preference is no but if you're trying to get a basic broth and you're using chicken bones sure i just think you 
need to follow the rules that we're saying about flavor and collagen and using joint bones. Um, but my personal preference is to run at least two full cycles in the instant pot for a flavorful, concentrated, gelatinous broth. If I have the time, I will do four cycles in the instant yeah. pot. So as a general rule of thumb, you're looking at, I would say, like 12 to 16 hours minimum on the stovetop and up to about two days. You typically will multiply by about four if you do broth in a slow cooker. So you're looking at two days to like a week in a slow cooker for the same uh, amount of nutrients dissolved into the broth. And you're looking to approximately divide by four for a pressure cooker like an Instapot. So it is definitely a lot faster. But if I'm thinking about a, let's say, just a 24-hour broth because that math is a little bit easier, that's six hours in an Instapot or four days in a slow cooker. So that's that's how that math roughly works, right? Obviously, it's going to depend on a lot of different things, you know, smaller bones are going to make broth faster than, than bigger bones because they're just going to dissolve more into the broth because they're, they're smaller. Um, and I don't know what else. Like if you use slow versus – or the low versus high setting on your slow cooker, that would change things, for example. How can you consume bone broth with a histamine intolerance? That is a fascinating question. So in – all of my readings on histamines, let's take a, just a quick step backwards because we're trying to do rapid fire. Uh, it, histamine is uh, obviously it's the thing that your uh, immune cells uh, secrete as part of an allergic reaction. So histamine is responsible for all of the awful symptoms that we experience during a true allergy like itchy eyes, runny nose, sneezing, coughing, uh, hives and rashes. Uh, histamine is behind anaphylaxis. So if you if you produ uh, produce enough histamine, that can be a life-threatening reaction. And histamine is a normal uh, product of spoilage. So histamine is uh, a very small conversion from the amino acid histidine. So histidine is this tiny little um, slight, you know, conversion into histamine. And histidine is an amino acid that's found in any, you know, most foods. Um, meats obviously will have a lot more of it than something like broccoli. And um, it can also, we also have bacteria in our digestive tract that can convert histamine into histidine. So if, uh, so fish, for example, is typically a high histamine food that has everything to do with what happens to that fish after it's pulled out of the water. So fish is relatively high in histidine and the bacteria that happen to live in aquatic environments are really, really good at converting histidine into histamine. So if that fish isn't cooled very, very quickly, those bacteria can work to do some conversion. And if you get enough histamine in food that is actually like measured in uh, certain types of, of food factories as a measurement of that food has gone bad. And so like s some types of food poisoning from food that's gone bad is actually a histamine reaction. That's one of the things that can happen. So in histamine intolerance, sometimes that's driven by some kind of gut dysbiosis, whereas people will have a lot more bacteria that convert histamine into histidine. More often than not, it has to do with a shortage in uh, one or both of the enzymes that 
do the conversion back. So they degrade histamine back into histidine. Um, the most important of those enzymes is called deamine oxidase. Uh, and that is an enzyme that is produced by all of the cells that line the gut. And so if you have any kind of gut health issues, you can have a shortage in that enzyme. It's also called DAO for short. And that can lead to symptoms of histamine intolerance. So um, there are some things that you can do, like take a deamine oxy, uh, um, a DAO supplement. There's uh, some sort of ideas that perhaps uh, nutrients um, nutrients might play a role. So, for example, vitamin E deficiency might exaggerate uh, histamine intolerance. Um, also there's the idea that working on just gut microbiome health in general can be really, really helpful. Gut health in general can be really, really helpful. Um, but if you look at studies of histamine intolerance, there's quite a few studies that measure the amount of histamine in different types of food to identify high histamine foods. I have on my website and in both the Paleo Approach and Paleo Principles gone to the work to compile all of those lists and put them all into one list and like all of the foods that I can find a study that measures the amount of histamine in it and it shows that it's high histamine and put it all into one list. And there's a lot of things that vary. So for example, fish is highly variable. It depends a lot on the type of fish and then the company. So if, if it's a company that is cooling the, chilling the fish super, super quickly, keeping them cold through the entire processing. And if they're small fish, so they, the fish cool themselves very, very quickly, then those tend to be low histamine. If it's a bigger fish or if it's a company that's not being as careful, then it can have a higher histamine. So it, it definitely varies even within one type of food. But here's the thing. I cannot find a single study that has broth or stock listed as a high histamine food. And I understand that it's all over the internet listed as a high histamine food. I mean, hypothetically, it would have certainly some histidine, except that most of the protein in broth is collagen and collagen actually doesn't have very much histidine. So I have um, a collagen label in front of me and the histidine out of uh, 20 grams of collagen protein, there's 144 milligrams of histidine. So if you don't have that much histidine, you can't make that much histamine. So my feeling is if it's if it's a high quality broth, the chances of it having high histamine are really, really low. Like it would have to be really like it would have to be sitting at room temperature for a long time to turn all of that histidine into histamine to cause a problem. So um, I realize that some people do still have reactions to broth and that could be broth quality or it could be something else in the broth. It could be a food intolerance to the, you know, type of, you know, the, the animal that the bones came from. So I think a lot of people have like beef intolerance is actually fairly, fairly common. And a lot of people don't necessarily recognize it. Um, but I like, that's, that's my, it's not a short answer, but I cannot find a study that shows that broth is a high histamine food. If they are reacting to broth, even if it's not high histamine, would collagen or maybe making their own homemade broth or what would you suggest as an alternative? I mean, I would definitely suggest 
trying your own homemade broth as a, as a first start where you're making sure that everything, you know, the bones are kept cold and, um, it's kept at high heat and it's, it's never left, you know, at the body temperature to incubate for very long. If that's still causing a reaction, I would suggest that that person go back and listen to our collagen show where we broke down all of the ways that people can react to collagen because it would be the exact same reactions to broth. I'm struggling with the taste. Any tips? All of the things we already talked about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so a couple of things. Concentrating the broth. I'm going to answer another question at the same time, which is when do I add my veggies when I'm making it? Because I think one of the things Mm -hmm. that people might struggle with when um, they're making their own broth and the taste is the fact that it could be bitter for a number of reasons. You mentioned earlier that not taking the scum off can be problematic. When you finish the broth, I also take the top of the fat off. You can choose to save that and reuse it in something else. Mm-mm, um, mm-mm, mm-mm. No, no, no. <laughs> no? So jump in right there. Okay. No. Uh, so we don't actually have a question covering this, but I'm glad you brought it up. So I was doing a lot of research in, I was thinking about it and what got me thinking about it was, um, uh, my doctor actually, um, you know, saying I, I'm seeing a lot of patients that, um, are having their, their, you know, going AIP, they're doing a lot of broth and their, um, cholesterol is skyrocketing. And I was like, what could be happening that broth would make people's cholesterol skyrocket? And the only thing that I could figure out was uh, if you're doing a lot of homemade broths is um, keeping, you know, keeping that fat and drinking that fat. But here's the thing. If you're doing a 24 or 48 hour broth, that fat is at, you know, you know, boiling temperature, simmering temperature anyways. And it's right at the interface between, cause it floats, it's right at the interface with the air. And I actually did some digging into the scientific literature. That is basically like an optimal situation for fat oxidation. And there's a few studies that have measured like how much time and how much heat to oxidize fat. So if you're doing an Instapot broth, broth, that's a low oxygen environment. So you can keep that fat. But if you're doing a stovetop or a slow cooker broth, that fat is going to be highly oxidized, uh, which can actually be inflammatory if you're consuming it. So if you're making your broth in uh, just on a stove, you know, pot in the stovetop or in a slow cooker, it's much better to skim the fat. And I mean, if you're consuming a little bit, you're always going to get a little bit and that's not a big deal. Uh, But I would not recommend saving the fat for another purpose unless it's made in a pressure cooker. Excellent information. Mm-hmm. We don't actually save our fat because not all of the bones that we use are necessarily grass fed. Um, and I just didn't feel good about the quality of the fat. So that's instinctually I was doing that, but I do know that some people do. So anyway, Getting back to the original question. That's okay. So there's a couple of different things that you can do to affect the taste of your broth. One of which is um, skim the scum or dump your broth, which I think is a better way. Honestly, you can both dump the broth and if any scum comes up after, you can skim it, which is essentially what we do to improve the taste if you're using a stock pot. Um, 
and then removing the fat at the end. But more importantly, I see most people when they make their broth put in all of the flavor aspects of the broth at the beginning. And when you're talking about cooking something for as long and as hard (laughs) as we're talking about, (laughs) um, because that's what you're doing essentially, whether it's in, you know, a pressure cooker for four hours, or if it's in a crock pot for two days, no matter what, like you are cooking the heck out of it. And so (laughs) if you're cooking carrots and celery the same way that you're cooking a bone, it is not going to cook evenly. And it's going to make those vegetables really bitter and flavor the whole broth that way. And so I definitely suggest if you're having difficulties with the flavor of broth, make sure that you're following all of those things to avoid adding bitterness. And then secondly, try different kinds of broth. Um, So for me, after we made Beyond Bacon, pork broth was the only kind of broth that tasted good to me because it was so rich in flavor. And I remember I was at Bill and Haley's house, uh, Primal Palette, and she so generously had made chicken broth because she knew how much I loved broth and served it to me as in a, in a mug after traveling. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> So the, I mean, it definitely had a much different taste. And so chicken broth is going to be the most mild. I would say beef is going to be very like deep in flavor, as you would think of kind of a steak or a hamburger as having a more irony type taste. I'm not saying iron because it's not going to add um, like a brassiness to your taste buds, but it is, it does have a you taste more of the meatiness and the same can be said for lamb. I would say with pork, what I noticed the most is as an omnivore with more fat than a chicken, um, there's a more boldness and roundness to the flavor. And so for me, I like to add pork bones to any stock that we're making. If I had my druthers, I would, I would put pork and when Matt makes chicken broth or anything, I just think it adds Um, a great flavor to it. So if you're struggling with the taste, definitely try a different broth and make it yourself. I would also say Kettle and Fire, you can try the different kinds of broth that they offer and Mm -hmm. see if one of those strikes your fancy and then you'll know, oh, okay, I can make this kind of broth myself later or something. That like is that. a great tip because you're not spending 48 hours on each batch of broth to find out yeah. that you don't like For it at sure. the end. Yeah. Um, I put my aromatic vegetables, right? Carrot, celery, onion, typically into my broth, usually only for the last two hours. I was, yeah, I was going to say the last 45 minutes is when I think Matt adds his, like you, it doesn't need a lot of time in there. Uh, and the other, the other thing that I think is a, a tip that you didn't mention with taste is salting broth. Ah, yes. So um, there is like a a range of amount of salt in the broth that really enhances the flavor. Um, broth could just seem kind of bland if it doesn't have enough salt. And then obviously it just feels like you're like snorting chicken McNuggets if it's got too much salt. <laughs> so um, what I do is now I will sometimes, depending on what I'm going to do with my broth, I will sometimes under season it and then throw it in the freezer. And that way I have a lot of options for what I'm going to do with it. But if I'm making a soup or if I'm going to uh, use it as a sipping broth, 
uh, what I really do is I, I add the salt slowly. So I add a little bit of salt, stir it, taste it, add a little bit of salt, stir it, taste it, and basically go until you hit, oh yeah, that's, that's the moment. Like you'll hit this moment where like all of a sudden it's just the right amount of salt to be super, super flavorful. And it's important to understand that any, um, uh, high quality broth, like kettle and fire broth is under seasoned. So it, it is that super versatile. You can do tons of stuff with it, but if you are going to uh, have a mug of it, you might enjoy adding, you know, a pinch or two of salt. Again, even in your mug, add your pinch of salt, stir it, taste it. If that's not quite enough, add another little pinch, stir it, taste it. Um, so, so bringing that that salt level up is uh, super super helpful for enhancing the flavor. And of course, I would definitely recommend using an unrefined sea salt so that you have uh, tons of other minerals. So if you think about something like Himalayan pink salt, it can have up to a quarter of the sodium is displaced with something like 84 different other minerals. So the reason why it's pink is because it has a lot of iron, but it has tons of other minerals. Those are all trace minerals that your body needs. And so it also, if you're thinking about, oh, adding tons of salt, it's it's not going to be that high in sodium if you're using a high quality broth and if you're also making all of your own it's going to be way less so you're you typically if you cook at home you'll automatically end up in the happy medium window of sodium intake and not end up in with excessive sodium intake i would say too that if you don't like drinking broth that's fine you're allowed to not like to drink broth i fully admit that that's a weird love that I have. And <laughs> I'm okay owning that. Like, I really love the comforting feel of drinking a mug of broth. And, and not like most to, people will like that. And I just like to eat a head of lettuce. So, yeah, so you know, so we're weirdos. And, yep, we, and we're okay with that. Um, <laughs> so Kettle and Fire does also have soups made with their bone broth. I'm actually on their website right now, Sarah. And our discount code is not just for 10%. Again, kettleandfire.com slash paleo view. They've got a whole bunch of bundle options and you could get up to 38% off depending on which one you get. So if you wanted to try out, for example, like their three soup trio, or I think the butternut squash one is AIP. I didn't go look into the spices, but it's just butternut squash soup. Um, There's a mushroom and chicken one. So there's a lot of different options. You don't have to drink bone broth by itself. As Sarah said, she puts bone broth in recipes. There's so many different ways to get the health benefits without needing to drink it by itself. Here, here. Okay, so Sarah, I genuinely am not sure about <laughs> about this one. So I'm curious. I don't think it's a flavor thing. Uh, which is why I didn't roll it into the other things that I was talking about. Do you need apple cider vinegar to make broth? And if yes, why? So the uh, reason for adding apple cider vinegar is that it is supposed to, by lowering the pH of the broth or of the water that is will eventually become broth, uh, increase demineralization. So it is supposed to make the bones basically – um, dissolve their minerals into the broth more easily. Um, in practice, though, this isn't actually the case. If you put a, you know, a couple of tablespoons of apple cider vinegar into an entire batch of broth, it's not actually enough to make a, 
uh, substantial enough change to the pH of the broth to actually do that. And really, you're going to demineralize the, bo- the bones with prolonged cooking. So it at that case, it really becomes a flavor choice. Some people like a little bit of acidity in their broth and some people don't, but you don't actually need it to help demineralize the bones. Also, it does not actually increase the amount of free glutamate. So there's also this other uh, sort of myth about you should never add apple cider vinegar to broth because it increases the amount of free glutamate. And then if you have free glutamate sensitivity, right, which has all these, it's a neurotransmitter, so it can have all of these different, right, headaches and other types of effects, you know, ADD and um, other things that people experience with free glutamate sensitivity, um, that then, you know, broth is a terrible food. And that actually is also not true. Uh, broth is not naturally high in free glutamate and adding apple cider vinegar does not increase it. Here's the next question. Does it matter if I buy the more expensive broth or will any bone broth do? Are there any broths that are as good as homemade? Well, I feel like we've answered that (laughs) partnering with Kettle and Fire on this podcast. Not just, we're not just saying that because they're sponsoring. We asked them to sponsor because we like their product. Um, But the reason that more expensive uh, quotation marks matters is because you're looking for, you know, organic grass fed, just like you would any other quality meat. And the reason that this is particularly important for me with broth is because you're drinking a concentrated amount of it. And there's also going to be more nutritional value in the bones. Now, this is not a question, but I want to address it. And we did address it in the original bone broth show, which is that you're not consuming bone broth for a high mineral content. There are some minerals that will come, but there are claims on the internet about it being super high, for example, in calcium. And the science just does not support that. It is super high, however, in collagen and gelatin, which have a number of health benefits we'll get into um, and have talked about previously. So when you're looking at what you're drinking it for, you want to make sure that you're getting the benefits of collagen and gelatin, and then the added benefits of minerals and healthy fats and all of that kind of stuff come with it. And so if you're not using a quality base for this broth, then you're not really getting the benefits of it. Yeah. So broth sort of like a a slow cooked broth like kettle and fire or like a homemade broth um, will, you know, there's been claims that it has like the same mineral content as milk. It's not quite that. It has a fairly good amount of magnesium, uh, phosphorus and potassium. It does have a little bit of calcium um, and a little bit of zinc and a little bit of manganese and a tiny bit of, you know, copper and iron, but it's, um, it's not like a mineral supplement. Um, Now, granted, the more the bones are crumbling when you take them out, the higher the mineral content is. And it's really, really hard to standardize. It's really, really hard, right? There's not studies that show, well, if you do this kind of bone for this length of time, you're going to end up with this mineral content. There's really only a handful of studies that have actually looked at long cooked or, you know, organically raised bones on the mineral content of the broth that's made. And if you um, simmer it down uh, and concentrate it, again, you'll have a higher mineral content. Um, but the the more compelling reason for drinking broth is definitely the amino acids that it has, that, you know, it's very, very rich in amino acids that 
we tend not to get enough of uh, if we just focus on eating meat and which are phenomenally important for gut health and for immune health, especially. Well, if that's the case, uh, when drinking broth, is there any other ingredient needed to aid in the absorption of all that good stuff? I will refer the person who asked this question to our amino acid show, which actually talked about all of the different transporters that help to absorb amino acids into the body and the competition between them. And the fact that the reason why there's competition is really just to give the body the ability to absorb what it needs most at that time. Like every single amino acid has multiple pathways into the body. So in that sense, no, you know, you're, you're going to absorb um, those amino acids really, really well. And the protein is, is fairly well broken down in a broth. There, there's some longer chains. So if you consume it as part of a meal, like you're having soup, you will release more digestive enzymes that help to break down compared to just having a cup of broth. Uh, so you'll probably more completely absorb all of those amino acids. Um, or if you have your cup of broth, have it with a meal. But other than that, there's there's not like a synergistic food to, to throw into the mix. Oh, if you forget your broth overnight, I've done this before. Is it spoiled? I love that I'm the one answering this question because I have such a more liberal policy on this <laughs> than you. Um, so here's the thing. The questions that I would ask is, did you forget it and leave it turned on? In which case, no. No, great. It's, it's great. More, it's more concentrated. It's, more, it's better. <laughs> did you turn it off and then leave it on the stovetop? Oh. Um, Sarah is going to tell you that the germs are dangerous and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I will tell you that we have done that ourselves. And what we've done is we've turned it back on and <laughs> rolling boil for 10 minutes. Disinfect yep. it. Yep. Um, we brought it back to high heat and then basically turned it off and then put it in the fridge after that. And if you've gotten the food particles out of your broth, and this is what's important, you will not have anything for the bacteria to cling to. However, if you have your aromatics, as Sarah calls them, or if you used, let's say, oxtail and there's still a bunch of chunky meat in there and it hasn't been drained, then you're at a much higher risk of bacteria than if you're talking about it's already been strained and it's just the broth and then you bring it back to a boil. We've done that I've and I've lived to tell the tale. So, uh, so I have certainly consumed broth that was left out at room temperature overnight and then brought to a rolling boil to just to kill any bacteria that would have grown in it. But I have to admit that the last couple of times that that happened to me, uh, one time because my stovetop broke. So it was not, it wasn't like I forgot it. It was like my stove just decided to stop heating things. In the yes. Middle of the night. That's, that's what's happened to us too, is it's a gas stove. And that if the gas goes out, then this, this was like an actual, like required repairman, under warranty thing. Uh, so it was, it was, it was not my favorite, my favorite time. Um, but in that case, I just cried and dumped out the broth. Um, but again, as you said, I, uh, I guess maybe because like my first few like part-time jobs when I was like trying to pay my way through college were all in, um, kitchens and I had to take all of the food safe courses. Um, so all of the like, as Michelle Tam would say, bacterial badness is something that I, I, I take very seriously. 
Meanwhile, our family were like, it's been on the floor for two days. It's probably fine. It's probably fine. <laughs> Five second rule? No. Two day rule. That's it. How often should you drink or cook with broth to have gut health benefits? I mean, I think it really depends on the overall quality of your diet. How many other sort of collagen-rich foods you're consuming? Are you consuming a lot of seafood and a lot of organ meat because those are also very rich in collagen? Or is everything else, you know, you know, ground beef and, and chicken breast because those do not have as much collagen? Um, and then how, you know, how much gut repair that you need. Uh, typically for my uh, AI peers, I recommend, you know, aiming for a cup a day most days. Um, so, you know, if you miss a day here and there, that's not a big deal. But that seems to be a good target. It's it's a reasonable target for most people. And just in terms of collagen supplementation, that's typically bringing in enough collagen into the diet to be benefiting from the amino acids in it. I aim to have at least at least one serving of broth or collagen a day. And in most cases, one of each or two collagens. So I have joint issues. I also love the benefits that broth, collagen, and gelatin offer for hair, skin, and nails with the thyroid stuff that I have. And I just, I get so much benefits from it that adding it multiple times a day really helps me feel my best. So therefore I want it and I crave it. I put collagen in my coffee in the morning. And then I also put it in the tea that I drink most evenings. And on top of that, um, you all know that I did a souping adventure at the beginning of this (laughs) year where I had two meals a day that were broth. And honestly, I felt fantastic during that time period. I know that that sounds overwhelming. So start with what you can and just feel good about that. Anything that we talk about on this show, take whatever applies to your life and however much you feel comfortable or are able to apply it and just feel really good about making that step. And then once you're comfortable and it becomes habit, then look at the next thing that you can do. So, you know, if you having a cup of broth twice a week is what you can handle right now, great. That's two more cups than you had last week. And just once you get comfortable with adding more things to your diet, then move forward, but don't stress about it. Agreed. Hey, Stacy. Why is broth so popular now when it's been around forever? Because it's amazing. Because <laughs> <laughs> everything old that's old is new again. I will tell you, I noticed broth becoming um, in vogue when New York City had a broth stand. And it made national news that there was, I think it's called Brodo. Do you remember when we were in doing a book in New York City and people brought us cups of broth from Brodo because we could get there? I remember the broth and I remember the people who brought it. I don't remember their names, but I just have like very strong memories of how awesome they were. (laughs) Um, And I remember trying to like chug the broth in the airport. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't remember the name of the stand. Well, I would say too, I think part of the reason that it's become back in vogue is because slow cooking and the slow food movement is more popular in general. So whether you're talking about um, paleo and ancestral health, or whether you're talking about the real food movement, or even the popularization of gaps and 
and the popularization of Weston A. Price Foundation and all of the health benefits that all of those organizations are talking about from bone broth really brought it to the forefront. And there's so much science to support the true health benefits. It's hard not to get on board. Well, and I think that, you know, anybody who, like I grew up in a family where we, you know, did not eat out hardly ever. We, we didn't have money for fast food. So we were cooking everything from scratch. And so broth was like, that was what you did to be a sort of, um, you know, Pennywise, right? Like you were, you would use everything and you would make broth from the bones that were left over from something. And that was just how we grew up. But I think that if you, you know, grow up now when it's so inexpensive to buy a meal in a a box from the freezer section and, you know, cook it for two minutes on high and then you're done, it, it sort of becomes a lost art to make broth. And so what I love is that just the real food movement in general is, and, and the also sustainability movement, right? We don't want to waste anymore. We want to use everything. We don't want ort. Did you know the word ort? No, you're, you're educating me right now. I'm blown away. Ort is the word for edible food that doesn't get eaten. So uh, when you, you know, scrape your plate into whether it's a compost or a trash can at the end of the evening, because you didn't eat it, but it could have been eaten, that is called ort. Fascinating. I, I learned that when I chaperoned the fifth grade field trip last year. <laughs> they, had, they had a really strong sort of environmental uh, message. So it was, it was pretty cool. Can I just have uh, a complete sidebar about that? Yeah. In the kitchen renovation, we added built into the countertop a compost bin that will sit <gasps> under the countertop for us. Is it a worm and, bin, like in your kitchen? Um, n- well, we are not doing a worm bin, but it's essentially a bin that Matt will be able to just scrape the vegetable and in, you into, know, and then move. into, and then we can pick the bin up out of the countertop and take it to the outside bin. Yeah. Wow. Super excited about that. And did I mention to you Hungry Harvest, which has nothing to do with this podcast, but they take um it's like a local um csa essentially and they take entirely their stock from farmers who can't sell their produce to grocery stores or grocery stores that won't take the food for a, a various various reasons and then they sell it to people like me who are like well just because this apple looks like a natural apple i would buy at a farm doesn't mean that i don't want it um and then they give their proceeds to people who are hungry so they are a business built on ort that's pretty amazing i'm i'm like super stoked about finding them and they don't even know that i exist so this has nothing to do with them i just think (laughs) i just think it's super cool and i'm like thrilled when I find organizations like that who are doing cool stuff that are really helping people and earth and all that kind of stuff. So, okay. Do we answer the popularization question? Cause I'm it's, so it's excited. Your last question right now. I'm so excited for the last question. Cause I know how like pumped you're going to get about it. Are you ready? Ready. Is it true that microwaving kills the good stuff? Nope. <laughs> period drop the mic show over no it's not true um 
I think we've we've I've actually like highlighted that we really need to do an entire episode dedicated to the microwave. I think we need a dun 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 sound effect from Matt right there. Um, so we will get to this in the not too distant future. But uh, what you need to know for right now is that the molecular changes that are caused by microwaving a food are the exact same molecular changes that would happen from heating that food in any fashion. If you were to heat it on the stovetop or heat it in the microwave, you are going to end up with the exact same thing. So no, microwaving does not kill the good stuff in food, and it is totally fine to microwave your broth to heat it up. Which I do all the time. I do too. Is there awesome. wait? Is there another? Is there another method? Wait, I, I'm confused. Well, for those of you who have painstakingly listened to prior shows, you were not surprised at all when we did a really poor job at rapid fire. <laughs> but we appreciate uh, you sticking with us nonetheless. And we definitely appreciate Kettle on Fire for not only sponsoring this podcast, but also providing such amazing discounts to our listeners. Remember that you can check them out and get your 20-hour grass-fed bone broth that is shelf-stable in a super cool box for up to two years at kettleandfire.com slash paleoview. Thanks again so much for listening. We love you all. I have been to two local events lately. I don't get to connect with our audience as much as Sarah because I don't do as much stuff, but I have been recently with local friends doing book lunches and I got to connect with so many of you. And Sarah, I even gave hugs. Like I voluntarily gave hugs um, because I just, I really do like people as much as I have a black (laughs) tiny heart. So thank you all for being here. And for those of you who I didn't see and I didn't hug, just Imagine that that's happening for you right now in a warm embrace, and I'm giving you my warm fuzzies. Thanks so much for being here and listening. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Yeah, you were just clicking out, like, right from the very beginning. Let me make sure I'm connected the right Wi-Fi. Clicking out, that's the that's the new yep. cool kids phrase. Click, click, clicking out. That's still going to become a thing. It's like the kid version of, like, Netflix and chill. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're not making any, like, cool, hip kid sayings on this podcast. We really went over there. Did um did. I... I don't think it's as long as the notes make it look. <laughs> That's like the best blooper ever. I'm like, <laughs> what is happening with this show? You're like, um, I really don't think that it's as long as the six pages worth of notes make <laughs> it seem. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.